0: Well, it's good to be here this morning, and I appreciate your hospitality, and we've been looking forward to being with you this week. I want to just, it's a privilege to be here and open God's Word with you, and I'm thankful for my church that allows me to travel some like this. I don't preach out a whole lot, but uh, they graciously allow me to travel, and men who are preaching in my absence today and and, uh, further on in the week, and so it's it's our privilege to be here. I wish my whole family could have come. My wife would have liked to have been here and and the kids, but we have reached a new stage in our life, and we have these older kids who have schedules and jobs, and we feel like we're always running 15 ways from Sunday, and uh, Uber drivers and all that kind of stuff, you know, so uh, neither my oldest daughter or my son have their driver's license yet, so my wife and I do a lot of transporting right now, but uh, Allison really wished that she could have been here, but it just didn't work out. I appreciate the invitation, Pastor, to be here today, and we look forward to this meeting this week. Turn, to, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, and with the Lord's help, I'd like to direct your attention here for a few moments to the very end of the chapter, Luke chapter 9, and we're going to begin in verse 57, and we'll read down through the end of Luke chapter 9. But uh, before we read the text... I don't know if you've noticed, I've noticed that we live in a day and age now where it seems like false teachers are falling all over themselves to make it sound easy and attractive to follow Jesus. Gospel presentations tend to sound more and more like, if you get saved by next week, you'll probably have a Mercedes and a a 4,000 square foot mansion. And if you, if you just give your life to Jesus, he'll make you wealthy and famous, and he'll make your life so easy and good. And, and we think about that, that idea and, and kind of what we call the, the, the feel-good gospel, the, the idea that if you get saved, everything will be easy and everything will be good. And when we compare that to what the scriptures actually say, It's not hard to tell that what is being preached in many places is actually a false gospel, that it's not a true gospel at all. And especially when we look at the Lord Jesus and we see how Jesus dealt with people, we could ask the question, how did Jesus approach the issue of discipleship? And did Jesus make it easy for people to follow him? And so we want to look at Luke chapter 9 verse 57 through 62 with that question, those two questions in mind. And as we read the text, we're going to find that there are three encounters between Jesus and some individuals. And the way that Jesus dealt with them is very interesting because all three of these individuals had a shallow and insincere desire to follow Christ. And Jesus dealt with them very pointedly about the cost of discipleship. And that's what I want to speak to you about this morning is the cost of discipleship. What is it going to cost us to be followers of Jesus Christ? Luke chapter 9, verse 57, the scripture there says, and it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, no man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. We see in this passage that there is a cost to following Jesus Christ. Don't let anyone fool you by telling you that if you uh, go ahead and get saved, or if you become a follower of Christ, that your life will be the greatest life that you've ever imagined, or that everything will be easy, or everything will be simple. I like to say sometimes to folks, if you get saved, your life might might get harder than you've ever imagined. If you become a follower of Christ, you might suffer some rejection and some difficulty and, and some problems. In fact, not might. You most likely will suffer those things. And we see that there is a cost to following Jesus Christ. Now, when we speak about being a disciple, what we mean by that is being a follower, being one who follows after. We know that Jesus, when he came uh, and, and he began to gather together a group of men to be his followers, his disciples, there are the 12 that we normally think of And they constituted that first church, but there were also a number of others who identified themselves as disciples or followers of Jesus Christ. Some of them were quite sincere in their following, people like Mary and her sister Martha and their brother Lazarus, they were clearly committed followers of Jesus Christ. There were others who were secret disciples or secret followers of Christ, like Nicodemus, who, because he was a Pharisee and very, had a very high place, did not really want people to know that he was following Christ. But he was, uh, of course, there would come a time when it could no longer be kept a secret and his secret discipleship would be made known. But there were also those who said that they were followers of Christ, who said that they were disciples, and in reality, they were not yet willing to pay the cost of discipleship. And Jesus would frequently bring these people to a place of decision, a place of confrontation where he would speak to them about what it would actually cost to follow after Christ. Three men are described for us here in our text. The first in verses 57 and 58, the second in verses 59 and 60, and the third in verse 61 and 62. And as we look at these three men, it's a case study or three case studies in how Jesus dealt with people who said, I want to be a follower of Christ. It's easy to say, I want to be a follower of Christ. It's not so easy to pay the cost of discipleship. And so we want to think about that and consider it this morning. We see here in verses 57 and 58, first of all, that following Christ will require you to surrender all your dreams of greatness. It's going to require a waving of the white flag. In verse 57, this man came and Jesus was walking with his disciples and this man saw him and he said to the Lord, Lord, and that means master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Now, I want you to pause for just a moment. And just think about what you would think if somebody said that to you. Let's say you were out on uh, outreach or visitation, or out in the in the world, and handed somebody a gospel tract, and they said to you, "You know what? I've been waiting for this. I've been looking for this. I want to follow Jesus wherever He takes me. I want to be a follower of His." Wouldn't you get excited? Man, I'd get excited. I'd, I'd say, "Well, praise the Lord." Amen, let's talk. I need to to find more out about you. But Jesus knew something about this man. He knew something about his heart. And Jesus answered in a strange way, not a way that we would typically answer in this sort of a situation. He addressed this man and he said to him, You know, sir, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Now, I want you to think about why would Jesus respond in this way? Clearly, it's because he knew something about this man's heart that we would not know just by hearing that statement. Jesus saw something in this man that had to be addressed. And what he saw was that this man's expression, that his desire that he was expressing to follow Jesus was nothing more than an emotional and zealous expression. For whatever reason, this man had evidently gotten caught up in the emotion of the moment. Perhaps there was a crowd that was following Jesus. We know that frequently, especially early in Jesus' ministry, Jesus was healing people. He was doing miracles. And perhaps there were some miracles that were going on. And this man was caught up in the moment. And he had an emotional reaction to what was taking place. And he says to Jesus, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. I want to just remind you that an emotional expression is not typically a lasting expression. People can make emotional commitments. This is one of the concerns that I have about a lot of things that I observe in modern-day Christianity is that so much of it seems to be geared towards appealing to the emotions. And I don't think we should ignore the emotions, but if we're not careful, we can bypass the intellect And we can go straight to the emotion and we can get people to make decisions. We can get people to do things. For instance, I could very easily have an emotional appeal towards my younger children and really put a lot of pressure on them and get them to make a prayer or to make a profession of faith. But I would have no confidence that they actually have gotten saved because I would know that I have just manipulated them emotionally. And so we have to be careful about these sorts of appeals and about these kind of emotional expressions. Emotion can cause some people to make a hasty profession or a hasty commitment to Christ, one that will later be overruled by their reason. As they get distance from that emotional moment, they may stop to think and begin to reflect on the cost of what it will cost them to be a follower of Christ and say wait a second that's not what i signed up for that's not what i was interested in now i don't mean to say this morning that there should be no emotion in following jesus your emotions are part of who you are as a, as a human being god didn't make a mistake when he gave you emotions and we uh, are not after trying to just rule out emotions because emotion is a part of how we make decisions However, we should be careful not to put the emphasis on emotions. And I think there's wisdom as we are working with people and talking to them about following Christ. I think there's wisdom in honestly and truly presenting what it will cost for people to follow after Jesus. Several months ago, we had a young man that approached me uh, at the end of a Wednesday night service. And we had a guest speaker that was there who wasn't speaking about salvation at all. But this young man made a beeline for me after the service, and he spoke to me, and he, and what he said was, I need to be saved right now. And of course, I was trying to figure out who he was, because I had never met him before. It was his first time in our services. I was trying to get some background, some understanding of where he was going. And and so we, we went to my office and we sat down, we looked at some scripture together and I asked him some questions, got to know him a little bit better, tried to understand his background, where he was coming from. He was very insistent that he wanted to get saved. And I'm not going to stand in the way of someone getting saved. I'm not going to pray for them. But he, he wanted to pray and ask the Lord to save him. He felt, he felt it was very important for him to do that immediately. And so he did that and he continued coming to our services and we would we were meeting on a regular basis and he was very zealous he was very excited he was very passionate and and it seemed like okay you know things are going really well this young man really has a has a sincere interest in following after Christ he had a girlfriend that he was living with and we began dealing with that issue and and he knew that he needed to make some decisions, that he had, to, he had to make some choices in regards to that relationship because they were living in sin. And, and things seemed to be going along fine. And then you know what happened one day? He just disappeared. Stopped coming to services. Stopped returning my text messages. Wouldn't answer his phone when I called. I, have no idea. I still have no idea what happened to him. He could be dead for all I know. But honestly, what I think happened is, that he slowed down enough to consider what it would cost to follow Christ and he wasn't comfortable with that cost and he stepped aside. Now, I'm still, I send him a text every couple of weeks and just say, hey, I'm praying for you. I want you to know I'm thinking about you. I still hope that the time is going to come when we're going to be able to get together and talk about what happened and that he'll share with me what's been going on in his life. But I haven't heard from him now for probably five months. And uh, so I just try to stay in touch. He never responds to me, never answers me back. I have no idea what happened to him. I never did get his address, so I don't know where he lives. And uh, here we are, you know. But what I'm expressing to you is that this will happen. People will make emotional decisions, even as careful as we are, and as much as we will try to, to shield and, and keep people from making emotional decisions, people will make emotional decisions And then their reason will kick in and they'll say, I'm not willing to pay that price to follow after Christ. Now, Jesus had the the ability to understand this man's heart. And so he was immediately able to test this man. And he says to this man, You know, you want to follow me, but foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. What Jesus was saying to this man is, There's no greatness if you come and follow after me. There's no kind of astounding temporal benefits. You're not going to become great or wealthy. Uh, You're not somehow going to get an ascendant place in the physical kingdom of God here on the earth. Instead, what you could look forward to if you're going to follow Christ is privation, difficulty, Uh, You're not going to have all of the things that you would like to have. You're going to suffer loss. There's going to be trials. It's not going to be all that you thought it would be. Now, what would you do this morning if you knew that to follow Christ would mean that you would no longer have a home to live in? You would no longer have a place to lay your head. Uh, You would no longer have a place to call your own. You would be living out of your car sleeping wherever you could, would, would you say, oh, if that's what it means to follow Christ, then that's what I want to do. I want to suffer that kind of a life. That would make us pause, wouldn't it? Even those of us who say, I'm a committed follower of Christ, if it was going to cost us that, we'd say, wait a second. Let me think about that for a minute. Jesus was communicating to this man, before you can follow me, you're going to have to surrender all your ideas about what you think you're going to get by following after Christ. We don't know exactly what this man was looking for. Perhaps it was that he was looking for an exalted place in the kingdom of God. Perhaps he was thinking Jesus is nearly ready to set up his kingdom and he wanted to be at the right hand. He wanted to be in a place of ascendancy. We know even the 12 apostles really struggled with that concept and with that thought. But the truth perspective for us to understand this morning is that those who follow Jesus Are unlikely to ever be in the who's who in the world. It's unlikely you're gonna be the biggest church. It's unlikely you're going to be the most popular in the community. It's unlikely you're going to be the big name preacher. It's unlikely that people are going to say, oh, he's the greatest guy around. I just love being around that guy. I just love being around that girl. I mean, we hope that we have a pleasing personality and and that that we're true friends and those sorts of things. But the reality is that when you speak truth, it makes people uncomfortable. And so it's unlikely that following Christ is going to launch you into a place of ascendancy or authority. And when you live with eternal values, it causes you to have different priorities than the rest of the world. The rest of the world is really living for the here and now. They want to live in the nicest neighborhood, they want to drive the fancy cars, they want to have the nice clothes, they want to have money in the bank and security of retirement and all those sorts of things. But as God's children, as followers of Christ, we need to have a different perspective. We need to surrender those dreams. Now it could be, it could be that God will allow you to have some of these good things and we praise the Lord when he does. Praise praise God that it doesn't always mean that we're going to suffer privation in order to follow Christ, but we ought to be willing to say, Lord, whatever you want, I'll surrender. Whatever you take from me will be fine. And so Jesus responds to this man and he evidently, and the text doesn't tell us how this man responded, but the, the inference in the text is that this man, that was too much for him and that he turned around and that he left that he, didn't, he actually didn't follow Christ. Now, the second encounter is a little different because in the second encounter, Jesus actually addressed a man. So the first encounter is a man saying to Jesus, I want to follow you. The second encounter, Jesus looks at someone and he says to that man in verse 59, follow me. So there's a command of Jesus, come after me. By the way, the, it is a command to follow Christ. Do you know that the gospel is a command to obey? It's it's not an offer to consider. It's a command to obey. The gospel, the good news, is something that ought to be regarded and obeyed because we honor God, because we believe God. Jesus looked at this man and he said to him, follow me. And the man in response said to Jesus, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And in verse 60, Jesus answered him in this way. He said, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. So first of all, following Christ will require a surrender of all your dreams of greatness. But second of all, following Christ will require a supreme love for Christ. This man answered in a very unusual fashion when Jesus said to him, follow me. Obviously, Jesus expected him to obey. This is offered in the imperative voice. It is the duty of every man to follow Christ with all of his being. It is rebellion against God for us not to follow after Christ. We ought to be followers of Christ. It was right for Jesus to address this man in this way and say, follow me. But this man, in response to Jesus, answers with an excuse about why it wasn't the right time for him to follow Christ. And the excuse seems to us to be legitimate. He says, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And we get in our mind, well, his dad must have been laying at the morgue right at that minute. And they were getting ready to put him in, put him in the ground. And, and he needed to go home for a couple of days and help his mom and his family as they buried his father. But that's not what this man was saying. This man was not saying that his father was dead and he needed to go home for a quick funeral before he could follow Jesus. What was being communicated was, I need to wait until my father dies so that I can bury my father. You know, he's old And the time is coming and I have some responsibilities and I have a need to get the inheritance. And so I need to wait until that is all wrapped up, till that thing is taken care of before I can follow after you. It's not the right time for me to follow Christ. How often do we hear people say, one of these days I'm going to follow Christ. One of these days I'm going to get saved. One of these days I'm going to be an out and out Christian. This man is a good example of that. What he was doing was using his father as an excuse for why he could not follow Christ. I've heard many excuses from people about why they can't follow Christ. As I've tried to be imperative in urging people to come to Christ, they'll say things like, well, you know, there's some things that I still need to understand. Okay. Well, what are you doing to understand those things? Well, I'm waiting until God makes it clear to me. No. No. Wrong answer. God gave you everything that you need in His Word. Search out the answers, satisfy your questions, and then follow Christ. What you're doing is making an excuse for not following Christ. People say, well, you know, this is just a really busy season of my life. So when things calm down, then I'll think about salvation. Then I'll think about following Christ. It's just, you know, it's a really difficult season. It's really busy and there's a lot going on. You know, one thing that I've come to realize in my life is it's always going to be a busy season. It's always going to be too busy to do some things. And you're going to have to figure out whether you're going to prioritize following Christ. By the way, I think I'm speaking mostly to believers who are here this morning. It's also true of us as believers that we have to prioritize following Christ. We have to make sure that he is our first love. When Jesus answered this man... Jesus says to him, let the dead bury their dead. And the idea is, let those who are spiritually dead bury their dead. You have a higher priority. You ought to be following after me. And the implication is clear from Jesus. What Jesus wanted was for this man to leave the temporal affairs of inheritance and all those sorts of things, the the things of this life, Just leave that to those who are spiritually dead. If you are spiritually alive, then you have an obligation to preach the kingdom of God. And no one but the saved can really preach the kingdom of God. This is a high calling. Jesus is saying, follow after me. This man is saying, well, I have something else that's more important. And Jesus is saying to him, I'm the thing that's most important. You know, this is a good reminder for every one of us. Jesus ought to be the center of our life. Following Christ ought to be our highest priority. Our love for Christ should rule the decisions of our life. It's very easy to fall into the trap of getting consumed with the things of this life. And I understand. We're, we're thinking about providing for our families, and that is a biblical priority for a man. We're thinking about providing for the future, and the Scripture talks about looking to the future and making a preparation for that and making sure that we're wise in those things. But we must balance that and we must remind ourselves that whatever we do for this life is just for a short time. I was, I was sharing with our church not too long ago that I was, um, I was looking at a house and it was getting ready to come up for real estate auction and I walked through the house with, a, with an agent in, in preparation for the auction, I was thinking about making a bid on the house. And the fellow who had died, it turns out I actually knew the guy. I didn't realize when I walked through the house that I actually knew the guy, but I knew the guy. And he was, um, in our area, maybe down here too, it's real popular for people to go to auctions, especially the older folks. And they go to auctions and they buy stuff. And this guy is really into auctions. And so when you walk into his house, and, and I'm not kidding or exaggerating, it was difficult to walk through the rooms because there was so much stuff in boxes that he had bought at auctions. And the garage in the back was the same way. You know, he had all this stuff. It was, it was brand new, some of it. Some of it he had obviously never opened. He just bought a box of stuff, brought it, dropped it in the living room. And there was stuff stacked around the rooms, the bedrooms, the bathrooms, the hallways, the living room, the kitchen, the, the, the outbuildings, just stacked everywhere, all this stuff. And the fella had passed away. He had died of cancer. And the thought struck me as I was walking through the house and seeing all this stuff. He's gone. And all this stuff is here. And as far as I know, that man never trusted Christ, even though he had heard the gospel. But he never became a follower of Christ. But to him, what was most important was going to auctions and buying stuff so that he would have things prepared for if something ever happened. And he was one of these guys that was always preparing for the the catastrophe that was coming. You know, having lots of food stockpiled and necessities of lifestyle. And, And he would be a great resource. You know, if something bad happened, you could go to that guy and whatever you're looking for, guaranteed he would have had it. But you know what? He died and it didn't do him any good. And, and then I thought about the irony that of what they were going to do with all that stuff, which was they were going to have an auction. He bought it all at auctions, and now they were going to have an auction, and people were going to come into his house, and they were going to buy the stuff at an auction that he bought at an auction, and they were going to take it home to their house, and a lot of them were going to take it right to the garage and put it in a pile somewhere, and it was going to sit there until they die, and it gets sold at an auction. And I just thought about the irony of this, about... And and maybe you're not an auction kind of a person and that doesn't appeal to you, but whether it's auctions or some other way, we have a habit of living for this life and forgetting about eternal things. And that's because our love is misplaced. Our love ends up being centered on the things of this world, on the things of this life. We get our focus on the next new thing that we need, and we forget that God has a higher purpose for us to be living for. You see, this man should have followed Jesus. He should have come after Jesus. This, this was the highest priority of his life, was to be a follower of Jesus. But instead of following Jesus, he decided, I need to go take care of this matter over here so that I can make sure that I'm well cared for in my future. I can't tell you how many people I, I've known who are so busy caring for their future that they gave no thought to their soul until it was too late. And then by the time that they got to the point where they had had time to think about their soul, they were no longer interested because they were too busy enjoying all the things that they had accumulated, and then life was passed. It's possible for believers to become distracted by other purposes and pursuits that are not fitting for those who are spiritually alive. Be careful how you're spending your life. Now, again... The Bible gives us priorities about how a man should live and what he should live for. And I believe men should be hard workers. I think they ought to provide for their families. I think all those things are true. They're biblical priorities, but it can get out of balance awfully quickly in our lives. So the question to ask this morning is, I say that I'm a follower of Christ. Do I love Him with all my heart, soul, and mind? Is He first place in my life? Is He my supreme love? So you notice, following Christ will require a surrender of all your dreams of greatness. Following Christ will require a supreme love for Christ. But finally, in verse 61 and 62, there's another man who comes along and he says to him, Lord, I will follow thee. I'm intending to follow you. But let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So third of all, the cost of discipleship is that following Christ will require a singleness of purpose. There is a singleness of purpose that we must have in order to be followers of Jesus. Now again, at first glance, the request of this man, the statement of this man seems to be reasonable. It seems to be reasonable for him to say, I'm going to be following you, Jesus. I'll catch up to you shortly. I'm just going to be going home because I need to say goodbye to my family and let them know that I love them. And we would say, what's the harm in that? What's the problem? Why wouldn't Jesus want this man to go home and say farewell to his family? I mean, we all ought to say goodbye to our family whenever we're going to be gone somewhere. That's an important thing. We ought to love our family. And the answer of Jesus seems a little bit harsh. It seems severe the way that Jesus dealt with their, this man, but there's something for us to learn from this. Jesus dealt with this man this way on purpose. And, and I want to reassure you this morning that Jesus is not teaching somehow that we should disregard or disrespect our family. That's not at all what he's focusing on. In fact, the scriptures give us lots of good principles about how we should relate to our family. The Bible tells us we should honor father and mother. The Bible says we should love Uh, our our spouse. The Bible says we should love our children. The Bible says that that all these things are true. So there's a priority to family. But what Jesus is dealing with here is something that was in this man's heart. He is dealing with this man very specifically because he saw something about this man that indicated that he was double-minded. You know, the book of James tells us that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And what this looks like is the person who at the end of a service says, I'm going to follow Jesus with all my heart. I I want to serve the Lord. I'm so excited about serving the Lord. They walk out the back door of the church. They get home and they sit down in their recliner and they think about what happened and they say, well, you know, I'll get to that in a while. There are a few other things I need to deal with before I follow Christ. And and they flip-flop back and forth between following Christ and following the things of this world. What Jesus seems to have noticed in this man's heart was that he was saying he was going this way, but he was looking back. Even as he was saying, I'll follow you, he was making provision for not following Christ. He was giving himself an out. You know, this is true about anyone who is saved. Jesus is your last and only option. There is no plan B. You cannot come to Christ and say, now if this doesn't work out, I've got another way to work things out. If you did that, then you didn't come to Christ. You have to come to Christ knowing that He is the only solution for sin. Knowing that without Him you are hopeless and helpless. You must come to Christ without any other thought of what you might do in order to be saved. This man came to Jesus and said, I'll follow you but I need to go home first and say goodbye. So he's saying, I'll follow you, Jesus, but there's something in him that is wavering about his family's expectations for him. I have a feeling that when this man got home to say goodbye, there were some things that they were going to say. Well, wait a second. You can't follow Jesus. I mean, we had big plans for you, son. You, you were going to go to college, remember? You were going to go to university, you were going to get an advanced degree and you were, you were going to be the success story in the family. Don't you remember? We've been sacrificing for you all this time. We've been, we had big dreams for your life. We, we, we had, we've invested in you and now you're saying you're not going to do that? You're going to follow Jesus instead? Do you get the picture? Now, I don't know if that's exactly the scenario, but that's what this man is giving room for. He's giving room for another option. He might go home. And his family might say something to him that would change his mind. What Jesus knew is that if this man went back to his family, he never would get around to actually following Jesus. He needed to put Jesus first and follow Jesus with a single mind, with a single focus and purpose. And so Jesus says to him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is saying to him is this, if you're going to follow me, no looking back. Don't look back. Too many people think about following Christ and then they look back and they think about what could have been. You know, I've heard a lot of a lot of unfortunately a lot of preaching from people who sounded like they regretted following Jesus. You know, they start talking about what they used to be like and what they could have done with their life if they hadn't been called to preach and hadn't gotten saved. And you get the idea, brother, maybe you've heard messages like this yourself. You get the idea, like, as they're preaching, that they almost regret having followed Christ. And here I am living this sad, sorry existence, you know, but I could have been a professional baseball player. I could have gone to school on this scholarship, and I could have been a big mover and shaker. But, you know, I got saved, and this is how it sounds. God ruined my life, and I started following Him, and here I am. Well... You know, you've got to be careful not to look back. Think about the nation of Israel. When they came out of Egypt, what did they do? They started looking back. And, and their looking back was not even reasonable. It was not even logical. They started saying things like, You brought us out here to kill us, Moses. And we wish that we were back in Egypt where we had garlics and leeks and onions and life was really good. Now, how short their memories are. Their life wasn't good. Their life was hard with bondage, and they groaned, and they wanted to be set free, and they were set free, and they get get out here in the wilderness, and they say, we want to go back. But that's a human tendency. There's a tendency that we have to say, well, I'm going to do this, and then to second guess, and to start looking back. Listen, if you've begun to follow Christ, if you are following Christ, don't look back. Don't second guess your decision. Don't ask, what if? What if I had never followed him? You see, Jesus is giving a vivid picture when he talks about putting your hand to the plow because anyone who's ever plowed knows that you can't be looking back and trying to plow a furrow. It's not going to be straight. In order to plow a straight furrow, or maybe since most of us don't plow, in order to mow a straight line with the mower... You can't be looking back here because your line is going to be all over the place. You've got to pick a spot and you've got to go to that spot and you've got to keep your eye where you're headed. I just preached at our church not too long ago, just a couple weeks ago, from Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And as I was preaching about that passage, I was illustrating for our church people, when we're running our race, our eyes have to be fixed on Jesus. That's where we're going. We can't be putting our attention on all these things. We can't be looking back. We can't can't be second-guessing our decision. We've got to keep running the race, and we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. There's a reason for that. To be a disciple of Christ, we've got to keep moving towards the goal. We've got to keep our eyes on the Lord. We can't be double-minded. We've got to have a single purpose. As disciples of Christ, our single purpose is serving Him, following Christ. So I'm going to follow Christ wherever, whenever, however He wants me to follow Him. Whatever that means, I'm going to do what He wants me to do. He's first. He's my supreme love, as we already spoke about. He's the focus. He's the goal. He's the one who's run the race ahead of me. And I need to have a singleness of purpose in my life. I think a lot of Christians today, even real genuine Christians, are distracted in their purpose of life. They get hung up on things that are really side issues. They get pulled off after pursuits that are not the main thing. And I think if we will be careful to keep the main thing, the main thing, that is following Christ as number one, then everything else will fall into place. All the other priorities that God says ought to be a part of your life will be in their right, the rightful place. I have a, a friend, he's, he's now retired from pastoring, and in, in his retirement years he preaches sometimes itinerantly as a, as a, a preacher, And he always used this illustration of buttoning your shirt. And he'd say, now keep first things first. Because you men know, if you start to button your dress shirt, and you get the second button in the first buttonhole, and then you don't notice and you keep buttoning, you're going to have a problem. And especially if you don't notice it, you're going to get to church, and somebody's going to say to you, that doesn't look right. Something's wrong with that. Or as it sometimes happens in our house, I'll see one of my boys and I'll say, "Uh, son, I think you got mixed up. Unbutton your shirt and let's get it back where it needs to be. First button in the first button hole. Isn't it amazing when you get the first button in the first button hole, everything else just kind of comes along. But if you don't get that, if you get that mixed up, that first button, everything will be messed up. And it's the same way with our priorities of life. If we live with the wrong first focus, with the wrong love, with the wrong singleness, the wrong focus, guess what? Nothing's going to line up. Nothing's going to work. Nothing is going to jive. However, if we put Christ in his rightful place, if we follow him with a singleness of purpose, what we'll find is that everything else will fall right where it needs to be. It is going to cost us a singleness of purpose in our life. There was a man years ago who got saved in our ministry at Lehigh Valley Baptist Church. My dad was actually the one who led him to the Lord. His wife was a believer and had started coming to our services. And Joe was unsaved at that time. But he was curious. My dad began meeting with him, doing Bible studies, and from all outside appearances, Joe really got saved. He gave his life to Christ, began making drastic changes. His life began to be transformed. And uh, it, it was amazing, actually, to watch. It was, it was encouraging and thrilling to see what God was doing in his life. And as uh, my dad continued meeting with him, discipling him, teaching him about what it meant to be a follower of Christ, at the same time, Some things started to happen in Joe's life, and he he worked for a a big multinational corporation. And he was offered an opportunity to take his career not to the next level, but to about five levels above where he was at. And it was very enticing because I think there was a lot of money involved, no idea how much exactly. There was a lot of prestige. There was a uh, a lot of notoriety in the community, and, and so he did take that opportunity, really felt like it was God's will. And, and at the time, we viewed it as God was really blessing him. God was giving him a place. And I believe God was. God was giving him a platform to impact people that we would have never impacted or even had an opportunity to speak to. Unfortunately, Joe, when he took that position, it began to get uncomfortable. Uncomfortable you know, being an out and out disciple of Christ. And our church is separated and we preach things that are not that well regarded by the world. And it started to get uncomfortable that Joe was associated with our church because our church takes some strong stands and they're pretty clear on those stands. And it began to be a little bit of a difficulty for him. and, And, you know, next thing we knew, Joe started to kind of distance himself. He started missing services and Next thing we knew, it was, we've got to move. Um, you know, it's a job opportunity. We've got we to gotta move. And they did. They moved out of our area, and they ended up in another church, but it was a much more agreeable church. It was one that the, the community would get along with a lot better, you know, and, and they'd moved a couple hours away. And you know what? They moved back to our area, and, and sometimes we thought, well, they'll come back to Lehigh Valley because... That's that's home for them. That's where he got saved and, and baptized. And but you know what? They never did ever come back to Lehigh Valley. Last I knew about them, their family just had fallen into kind of nominal Christianity. And you say, what happened? Well, I think it got to a point where following Christ had the potential to really cost something. And the decision was made I'm not willing to pay that price. I'm going to step back. I'm not going to use this place that God has given to me in order to further his kingdom. I'm more concerned about my kingdom. Now, I can't speak to the motivations of the heart or all the things that were going on. And to be clear, I don't know everything about that story. But from the outside looking in, that's what it looked like. And actually, you know, that happens a lot. People get to a place, God blesses them with, some kind of a blessing, some kind of material thing, some kind of a position, and then next thing you know, that blessing from the Lord becomes something that interferes with them following Christ. So the challenge this morning is, are you willing to follow Jesus no matter what it costs? Are you willing to put Him first? Are you willing to surrender? Are you willing to have a supreme love? Are you willing to have a singleness of purpose? Are you willing to pursue after Jesus with all your heart For all of your life, this is what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And we are coming to a time, I really feel this strongly, we are coming to a time in our country where I believe it will start costing us a lot more to be real followers of Jesus. And we better count the cost. This morning, my challenge to you is, have you counted the cost? Are you willing to follow Jesus under those terms? Perhaps you're here this morning and you have never... Surrendered. You've never waved the white flag. You've never turned your back on your self efforts and put your faith in Jesus alone as the only one who can save. And maybe there's a hindrance there where you're saying, well, if I follow Christ, then I have to give up this dream and I have to give up this focus and I have to change the way that I'm living. And that's really where the decision is. Can I challenge you this morning? Come to Christ without delay, follow him. He ought to be followed, he's worth following. Be his disciple.